If you've been listening to the Business of Biotech podcast for a while now, you'll recall that Aaron Harris has joined me to co-host a few episodes. Aaron's my friend, colleague, and chief editor over at sellandgene.com, and she just recently launched a podcast of her own. It's aptly named Sell and Gene, the podcast. And if you're working in the Sell and Gene space, you should give it a listen. It's a collection of interviews with the industry and academic leaders moving the space forward. And you can find it at sellandgene.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Sell and Gene, the podcast. Check it out. Welcome to the Business of Biotech. I'm Matt Piller, and my guest today is the former global head of biotech at Bayer and former VP of global pharmaceutical operations at Pfizer. She's served as a senior group leader and senior manager at Genentech, principal scientist and group leader at Pfizer, and senior scientist at AbbVie, in addition to VP of research development and manufacturing positions at the biotech's Tanvex Biopharma and Medivation. She currently serves on the boards of Acaro Therapeutics, LX Med, UC Berkeley College of Engineering, and Silicon Valley Women in Engineering, and previously served the boards of Biocom, the Bay Area Council, and the Bear Fund. She's been named to the most influential women in business list by the San Francisco Bay Times. And previous to all this, she earned her PhD in biochemistry, cell biology, and neuroscience from Yale, did a postdoctoral fellowship at the Max Planck Institute for Biophysical Chemistry, and held a faculty research fellowship at Harvard Medical School. Her name is Dr. Judy Chow, and today she's president and CEO of AltruBio Incorporated, the company formerly known as Abgenomics a clinical stage developer of antibodies for autoimmune and immune-mediated inflammatory diseases. Dr. Chow, welcome to the show. I'm honored that you could join us. Thank you for having me here. It's absolutely our pleasure, and uh, I need to catch my breath after that very uh, long and distinguished CV that I just read off. I mean, as I mentioned, uh, as I sort of rattled off the highlights of your career, you've had big pharma leadership uh, experiences at uh, AbbVie, Genentech, Pfizer, Bayer. Uh, those are obviously very, very big names. Those are very comfortable places for a biotech exec to be, comfortable places for a biotech exec to stay. What motivated you to take that leap uh, into emerging biotech and join AltruBio? There's no doubt there are um, many big benefits in the big pharma, but there are also some hard to ignore the advantage working in a small biotech company. Um, particularly, I will be able to, or I am able to now uh, closer to the innovation and really drive for the science, um, technology and innovation to the patients much more directly. And that's really the main reason uh, I came join uh, Ultrabio. Yeah, well, and and that move was was relatively recent, correct? You you made that leap just uh, just last year. Yes, the beginning of last year. Right. Um, I want to I want to kind of get your perspective on uh, what you your your uh, observations you've already made around the differences between working and in, in big pharma. 
um, and the agility that you mentioned that, that you have and, the, and being closer to, to science, uh, the, the science aspect of the job now. Um, what do you, what have been, uh, from your perspective, the biggest challenges that you've faced in the move to ultra bio that maybe, you know, maybe these challenges wouldn't have fa- uh, presented themselves in a much larger company? Um, certainly, I mean, bigger company and big pharma company as much uh, so-called deeper pocket. So right. uh, um, for many pipeline project, common goals and is uh, much more less uh, fluctuation uh, happening on the service. And then for small companies, the challenging really is, is much more vulnerable. Um, so need to have a much more strategy upfront to be able to get the needed funding and also to be able to uh, do that agile and uh, nimble to change the direction in order to uh, face all the challenges and making the right turn um, quickly. So those are the typical uh, challenges among uh, between the, the big company and the small company. And not to mention, you particularly mentioned about the timing. And I think I probably picked the perfect time to join a small company because that's right before COVID. Uh, yeah. That makes a small company even more vulnerable uh, in the beginning of the last year. Yeah. And for those of you listening uh, to this podcast, as opposed to viewing it, when when Dr. Chow said the perfect time, she used air quotes. So <laughs> just to give you some context there, perfect, depending on your perspective, I suppose. What did you, I, w- I want to dig into that transition a little bit. And specifically, you, you, you know, you mentioned uh, funding. Um, and that's obviously a big issue, uh, one, one of the biggest for uh, leaders of emerging biotechs. What did you do to prepare? I mean, when you were at these at these big pharmas, you know, I imagine, as you said, there they, they had deep pockets, and if if funding was needed by your department, if if you needed more resources, you know, I, maybe an oversimplification, but you asked for it, and 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 I'm sure in many cases you received it because it was there. Um, how how did you prepare as you came into AltruBio? And, and faced, now I know you had some board positions, so you probably had exposure to the funding mechanism prior, but as you, as you came into UltraBio as, as the leader here last year and spent the last, you know, uh, eight, 18 months, let's say, as, as its leader, um, how, how did you prepare for that responsibility and that, uh, uh, I guess, the, the pressure of, of raising funds and, and keeping the company moving forward from a financial perspective? Yeah, and I must also still give the credit of my uh, immediately previous job at uh, Bayer, because uh, allow me to explain a little bit, because my role at Bayer, I ran the biotech organization. So uh, Bayer gave me this unique opportunity, probably just uh, once in a lifetime and also once in the entire 156 years of Bayer history, um, putting everything from R&D to manufacturing, supplied, and everything in one shop. And mm-hmm. that allowed me to have to really think through the overall strategy from creating pipeline to manufacturing to many things. So basically, I have to deliver a PNL organization under bare meaning I need to drive for any non-small molecule to the profitable uh, situation. So I must give the credit about even, yes, like you say, when I need the funding, I ask for it. But I um, really not mean to overemphasize the the difficulties uh, at the environment, but more or less in the comfortable setting at a bear, 
uh, for all the years of success in small molecule, any biologic, so I mean any non-small molecule, this is including the new modalities, need to be think about 10 times to say, why do we want to take the step to invest? And that really actually helped me uh, prepare for my current position, uh, meaning that I need to think through what really is beneficial from the investor. I mean, previous is my board at Bayer, and now it's from the investor point of view to see how, how I can bring the value for the investor and ultimately really is to benefit for the patients. Mm -hmm. And that um, is very important for small organization and that perspective uh, helped me prepare to set up the right strategy to enable the fundraising for my current organization. Yeah, it sounds like that that last opportunity you had at Bear was sort of the the perfect uh, training grounds uh, to you know to to step into the role you have at AltruBio. Certainly, yeah. Even yeah. though it's harder to imagine, people tend to think it's in a large company. It's fine. It's totally true. I mean, Bear wouldn't fire me <laughs> when I couldn't get the funding. Uh, however, it's still it's the environment I really need to think through how to, like I say, um, break everybody's default thinking about where the smoke molecule is very comfortable area. Why do we want to move to such a complicated molecule? Mm -hmm. And that's when I need to set up the right strategy, prioritization, and to show some quick win also to demonstrate that I can move that needle and then to allow the board, and then now in the case about investor, feel comfortable to put more money in to see the progress of the company. What did uh, what did the company look like from a, a, a personnel and, and footprint standpoint when you joined it? Uh, like I say about this quote unquote uh, perfect storm, um, not only this is uh, right, uh, right away we face the challenge of COVID, but at the same time, the, uh, the funding situation wasn't so good. Um, so definitely it's, um, almost impossible to move to the next step. This has something to do with Nalaga because the company wasn't prepared to have me on board. It was uh, very confident about at the time, the fundraising right at the time when I joined should be a smooth sell. Uh, but unfortunately when COVID hit, um, that particularly uh, round um, right before I joined did not succeed. So then uh, facing a huge, and thinkable, challenging, and mm -hmm. have to really prioritize and focus to change the company around. Yeah, yeah. What What about? Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, I was going to ask you what, what you know what what what's kept you up at night, but I think you've made that very clear. <laughs> yeah. um, what about on the on the flip side of that? You mentioned the uh, the agility and the ability to be closer to the the science and the patient impact in 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 small uh, emerging biotech. Um, what other opportunities has this smaller organization presented that you know you're appreciating that you perhaps wouldn't have been able to appreciate with big pharma? Yeah, certainly. I mean, if I were um, stay on the same Past, I'm talking about the challenge, and I definitely don't want to make sound like it's just so horrible <laughs> to the degree it was. But I, I'm glad uh, and grateful I have my board, um, which is, uh, everybody is uh, all from Genentech, my former colleagues and leaders. Yeah. Um, and we be able to make a decision very quickly 
Um, so I think it's really identified the quick win and also the quick kill. Uh, that's a tr that's a trick. And for the bigger organization, that's harder. It's not because the bigger organization, everybody's lazy, not being making the decision. It's just when you are having a bigger group of people need to make decisions, the consensus become important. I mean, mm -hmm. I really as people tend to think about consensus uh, negatively in a big organization. I do think that's important because you want to drive for the big organization to move forward. But for the small company like us, um, my board and just uh, six of them, and including me, then we need to make the decision about what are we going to do, what to focus, and we be able to make the decision very quickly, stay focused, and then jointly towards the same goal to drive for the immediately success. Uh, I do think this is uh, hard to achieve in a bigger organization for facing this kind of challenge. So I like I say, very grateful um, we'd be able to work in a smaller organization to make those decisions to move forward. Yeah. And I, and I want to, uh, I want to talk about some of those quick wins because you've had some, I mean, and, and we'll get into that, but you, you mentioned the importance of um, a quick kill. And you mentioned the fact that in a smaller organization, perhaps it's easier to gain consensus around that. Um, I'll be, I'll be at disappointing, I'm sure, uh, at times. But what what goes into that? I want I, if you could give us a little color on, um, you know, what, when 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 is it time for a, for a quick kill, uh, and and how to how to gain that consensus before you waste too much time, you know, resource and 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 money on uh, you know something that just isn't going to work. Yes, I think um, for us or for myself, and basically what I present to the board, it's uh, really two key words. One is the prioritization and the other is how to focus. Mm -hmm. So the prioritization and focus are the two things. So first to prioritize, we need to see what is now, what is later. And so the timing wise, you need to make that decision and create that consensus on that. Second thing to prioritize is what's internal, what's external. Um, the biotech is a complicated business. So it's impossible not to cover many, many different areas. And so it's not to kill the one necessary because then that won't be sustainable. But, but it's about what to keep, what's a must own internally and what can be outsourced. So when I be able to create a consensus for this two factor, what's now, what's later? And then the other is what to own internally, what to externally um, outsource. And then we can come to the consensus much more quicker. And then it's about the focus. Um, after the prioritization, focus means putting all the money and resource on the one we prioritize as uh, we considers a top priority and then how much money we really want to put on. So I think more or less that's my uh, strategy to drive for the three consensus with my board. And I must also give my board credit. It wasn't hard at all. Um, I think unfortunately we all came from very similar background. Being in the Genentech experience those uh, very agile and fact-driven decision-making process and I think unique part also, all of us left Genentech about 10 years. Mm -hmm. We all been through different kind of organization and knowing what's the pros and cons. So I truly enjoy working with my board about when I say those three things, it sounds like the three step. And most of the time it takes us just a couple of minutes. We just like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go. 
let's just do it. Um, so that I think that's really helping uh, Ultrabio to turn around with such a difficult situation to be able to move on and that make a huge difference. That's why within one year, and now thinking back, almost within six months, uh, we'd be able to get the funding and to be able to drive for the new pipeline projects. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's the, the, the board relationships and dynamics are a tough one to cover from, uh, you know, from a prescriptive perspective, right? Like what yes. you're describing, years of, of camaraderie, intuition, uh, you know, f- fellowship, um, and understanding, uh, you, you can't, you know, you can't kind of write up a prescription for that. It just, it's a, it, it, it comes with time and experience and, and I can only imagine how it, you know, lends to that boardroom dynamic. That's totally true. Yeah. The business of biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A lifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. So let's talk about some of those wins. Uh, you just achieved, I, I think, a, a couple a couple few months ago, fast track designation for your your lead candidate, ABGN one sixty eight H, which is uh, a monoclonal antibody uh, aimed at steroid refractory acute graft versus host disease. That's a that's a that's a new win for for uh, Ultrabio, right? Yes. Yeah, so we are very excited about this uh, fast track designation. Um, it definitely uh, says quite a bit about the support from the agency. Yeah, so tell us about that uh, disease and how ABGN 168H addresses it. Yeah, so for steroid refractory acute uh, graft versus host disease, it's a very severe disease. The mortality rate is uh, very high. And the background of the disease, if I can do that very quickly, basically the patients start with uh, the blood cancers or anything um, involved for the hemolytic cancer, and then went through the bone, uh, went through many kind of different standard treatment, including chemo, radiation, and it didn't did not work. And then mm-hmm. the doctor would decide to go for the bone marrow transplantation, and then with the bone marrow transplantation, you have this. Uh, um, rejection uh, response, and then treat with steroid, and then fail with steroid. You can see even the whole treatment process is a lot, and not to mention the patient really suffer um, disease after disease in, in order to survive. So unfortunately, up to now, for such a disease, this is the only one drug approved, um, and that was only happening in 2019. And our lead molecule, ABGN16AH is specific targeted towards a late stage unwanted T cell, which is the T cell trigger the rejection reaction towards a host. In a sense, you're thinking about for the bone marrow transplantation, it's supposed to help the host to fight for cancer. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. But now actually the the transplant, the transplanted uh, bone marrow transplantation cells go against the host, like attack the host. So our um, drug is specific target those T cell and access to stop. Don't do that. So that is uh, definitely uh, much more specific and be able to bring down only the unwanted instead of killing all the T cells because mm-hmm. then that kills the whole purpose about the therapy. So with that unique function in making it much more safe because the, the patient's uh, immune system is not compromised. And then also it's much more durable because we kill only the specific T cell. So that doesn't allow those problematic T cell to come back quickly. So with this two unique f- feature that make it much more, um, much more helpful for the patient and trust the recognition from the fast track designation saying quite a bit about this unique mechanism of action can address this disease better. Yeah. At what point did you, um, as a company, did you identify that you, uh, that it would be strategic to pursue fast, fast track designation? At what point did you say, okay, let's, let's put a plan together and go after this. Yeah, and uh, it's an interesting question because, uh, frankly speaking, when I did my due diligence of our company to consider to join or not, uh, I was looking at our, our uh, authoritative colitis data mm-hmm. and the data persuaded me. Um, but then this uh, preliminary phase 1A data came the very end of 2019, right before I joined. And it's very fascinating. We have 10 out of 13 patient response. Uh, and for most of the other, even the one and only approved drug, only had 55% respond and then got approval. And so for 10 out of 13, so that's a very high percentage have the mm-hmm. response rate. Um, and to your question about when do we make that decision, when we face all those challenging of uh, COVID-com, COVID-CAM, and then we have the um, financial situation have to address, it looks like this medical need and also the non-addressed by the, by the existing approved drug, it, it is the right thing to do because this will be um, quicker approval, also quicker to bring this solution for patient. So with that, um, basically, like I mentioned about um, through the discussion between my board and myself, we make that decision in the beginning of 2019. I'll say fair to say about March, April last year. Yeah. Um, so you you went after it. How did you how did you execute it? And and I don't you know obviously there's a lot of uh, there there are many moving parts on on the way to that application and its approval. But if you could give us a high level of what execution looked like once you decided you were going to pursue it uh, and you and you put the wheels in motion, what did it take to get it done? Yeah, and. It's easy to say, and I appreciate you asked that question because we at the time have uh, in parallel um, four or five clinical studies all ongoing. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine if you forget about the emotion of the, the investor, you have to consider the patient's benefit too. So we have to make the right decision to say, this is making sense to stop uh, and to focus on this particular indication. So the first thing, to your question is actually deprioritize some ongoing activities. Mm. And that took a lot. And second thing is really streamline our team. Um, this is not small for Ultraviolet before my time uh, has a 
pretty complicated organization really for the sake of for the future success. Um, but I have to streamline down to, let's just start from the beginning as a startup and down to the much more simplified organization, much more simplified team uh, and the number of staff. And that is uh, the second thing. And the third thing is really identify the right uh, clinical site and physicians we can work with to make sure our enrollment activation site in activation will be quickly. And the fourth thing, uh, in some sense, the most important is then to make sure we have the right funding, the right investor with the right mindset. And so that's more or less those four different directions to, to embark this uh, new initiative. A lot of what you just described uh, is, you know, in my mind, it, it's one of the most difficult aspects of, of being a, a CEO, and that's uh, change management. I mean, when you do things like, you, as you described it, deprioritizing certain projects or initiatives, um, you know, that that that's not as easy as it sounds at a personnel level or an organizational level. You know, people that are... I should say projects that are being deprioritized often have passionate people behind them. What's your best advice to leaders of emerging biotechs who have to make those difficult decisions, deprioritize some things to focus on others around just having the fortitude to do it as a leader? Uh, I learned early in my career. I put you on the spot with that one, Dr. Chow. (laughs) No, I learned early in my career. uh, It's a, never being attached to any project. I know it sounds so cruel, um, but it's totally true. Uh, Have to think about when we deprioritize, that also means uh, it may not be, this project may not be beneficial for the bigger population of patients. Yes, some patients may actually benefit from it, but we need to think about really for, to putting our resources on the bigger population. I really don't mean it in thinking about the money. Uh, truly, I think we need to put our focus first thing first about benefit bigger population of patients. So if I have any advice, uh, and luckily I learned that early in my career, um, is then not to get attached to any project, just being very fairly thinking through what really truly benefit for the bigger population of patients. Uh, I think when you put your heart in that right place, it's uh, much easier to make the decision. That's very, very, very good advice. A lot of wisdom there. Um, so let's talk about what the, the fast track designation is enabling for the company. What does it mean to the company moving forward? Yeah, it definitely recognizes, uh, as I mentioned, about medical needs. It helps us uh, quite a bit for the site, the clinical site activation, and also to persuade the physicians. And I want to particularly emphasize about when FDA gives us such a designation and it actually reflects during our application process. They keeping ask, they kept asking us the question about what is the unique mechanism of action. Mm-hmm. And so that means um, despite they have one existing approved drug, that is not what is missing. Right? What is really what we can bring is not just another solution as otherwise uh, FDA wouldn't give us that kind of designation. So for us, um, be able to then convey the message to the physician about there's still room this drug can bring, which is an existing drug wouldn't have. And in mm-hmm. our case, as I emphasize, because the safety. And so we definitely see, 
our um, lean molecule ABGN168H already been tested uh, more than 170 uh, patients. So that means um, the safety is there. Otherwise, the agency will kill this drug already. Um, sure. So that definitely have the background to support this uh, drug is much more safer to allow us to increase the survival rate. That, uh, that so that that safety factor obviously is extremely important. Is what was it sort of the primary determiner? I wanted to ask you what the you know what the advantage is. What what did the FDA look at and say? Okay, you know we we see these clear advantages of of this candidate, this molecule, uh, sufficient to enable the de- designation. Was safety the the lead on that? Or are there other elements, other other facets of that discussion? Well, for FDA, they always have to put safety first, because that's the agency's job. And so I have to say that is the primary. However, uh, jointly with the FDA and company like us, the sponsor, we want to see the efficacy. Um, So definitely we have, as I point out, the early phase 1A data showing 10 out of 13 patients have the response. So that uh, is a very promising uh, indication about this drug works. And so those two factors um, really allow the agency to see the potential. But again, I will emphasize that's different from just, that's a regular approval. And for fast track, meaning agency will give the priority to response to our question, to facilitate our uh, quick get to the finish line, and they will give it to the company, have really the unique mechanism of a function. So this is so-called first in class. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is a unique part, the exciting part about ultraviolet science is we have this first in class, meaning this mechanism has not been applied for any drug approved today. So this may bring the solution we have not been able to uh, treat for those patients. They're still waiting for new treatment. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that that uh, that win. As you said, it was a it was a quick win and a, and a needed one. So a great great feather in your cap early on. Uh, that molecule is also a phase two candidate at Altrubio for psoriatic arthritis, ulcerative colitis, and uh, in phase one for acute graft host uh, graft versus host disease. It's also in preclinical non-human studies for solid organ transplant. So. Um, I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit around this single antibody, multiple indication approach. I know it's not entirely uh, uncommon, um, but you've made some significant clinical progress uh, with this with the single molecule for, for multiple indications. What are the advantages to that approach? Yeah, this is what we call the pipeline in a PERDA. Um, basically, with one PERDA to explain uh, expanded to many disease area. Um, so the advantage is then the commercial value is high. So that means we can benefit many, many patients uh, for many kind of disease. Mm-hmm. And this approach, uh, and I probably will borrow my, uh, my experience in the industry. My first project uh, I was working on is Humira. Um, so lucky for me, the first project I was working on become today's uh, blockbuster drugs. Mm-hmm. And Humira took that right approach. When Humira started, we were addressing the rheumatoid arthritis. And then we expand into many, many indications. And you can see that drive for the value for the patients. That's the same approach we are taking for our lean molecule. 
we'll start with some quick wins as we just discussed about the SRA, GVHD, and those are the medical needs. Then we will apply this mechanism into, like you just pointed out, all those indications to benefit um, multiple different indications to enhance the value of the product. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, my, my very simplistic mind, when, when I think about what could be challenging about that approach, goes back to um, identification of, of, of targets, identification of indications, where can we apply this mechanism of action? So I'm going to make an assumption and, 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 and assume that one of the challenges of that approach is saying, okay, well, if we want to expand the applicability of this molecule and its mechanism of action, we've got a lot of work to do to figure out where to apply it. Um, so you can expand on that if you'd like, but I'm 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 also curious just from from your perspective, without my assumption, uh, what what challenges does that strategy or approach present? Yeah, certainly. I mean, you your assumption is correct, and uh, I will go back to the word I emphasize about prioritization. Um, easy to say, and like you just point out, that takes a lot of experience to to select where to prioritize. Like I say, what to do now, what to do later, and what is the right dosage form also. Mm-hmm. Meaning we have to have the endpoint in mind before we even start it. Um, so we have to think about if we go into any indication, is this end uh, is going to be beneficial for patients? And if it's not, then we better you know, prioritize on other things. Yes, the challenge will be you have all those options uh, to go in and people can go crazy about try this, try that. And, but we have to be very disciplined thinking about really the have the end in mind before you even start and mm-hmm. then uh, focus on the one um, really truly can bring value first. And then through all different kinds of opportunities, it could be even the partnership, right? You don't need to be, like I say, what to do by ourselves, what to partner or our license or uh, create the outside opportunity to enrich making the pipeline project not become a burden. So that is basically the challenging approach we are taking now. Yeah, I can only imagine that, you know, the, the, the weight of that challenge. And, you know, it does take a, an element of responsibility. I'm not going to name names, but I've interviewed uh, ex- executives from uh, emerging biopharma companies who are developing antibodies that they've uh, taken, you know, gone to great lengths to market uh, early as cure-alls, <laughs> you know, if, for lack of a better word, right? Uh, you know, and it's uh, it, it gets to be laughable, right? It becomes, it becomes sort of a, you know, a snake oil salesman kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, so there's gotta be, you know, I, I, uh, I guess I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm respecting the uh, discernment, right. And responsibility it takes to do that deprioritization, even where there might be a little bit of uh, potential opportunity and focus on, on the real potential wins. Um, What's your, uh, so walk, walk me through your development and manufacturing strategy to, to date. You know, we, we have discussions with, uh, with, with biopharmas, all the biopharma leaders all the time about the, the merits of insourcing and the merits of outsourcing and, you know, outsourcing development and insourcing manufacturing and vice versa. Uh, what's, what's your approach? What is the manufacturing approach and, and, and I guess forecast uh, at All True Bio? Ultrabio start with our innovative science uh, from 
uh, National Taiwan University uh, spin-off company. So basically, the company has uh, the molecule, the R&D center in Taipei, Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see that as our advantage. So we have a group of very high-quality scientists, uh, very focused on immunology, and has a profound knowledge knowing how to take this uh, unique first-in-class uh, approach. So we're going to keep that for the discovery group remaining in Taiwan. But the whole development, I mean, once you get into, like you mentioned about manufacturing, the develop, we'll, we'll take advantage of, of our experience in U.S. Um, so basically to uh, some part as uh, our internally handle it and some part as uh, external. Mm-hmm. Currently for our manufacturing, we are all outsourced, uh, but we'll be uh, leaving the option open when we get closer for commercial. Um, we may bring some capacity in-house so we can own it, as I say, uh, to decide what to own and what to uh, uh, partner. And that is, uh, I believe that's a key success. And I um, luckily had that chance to test this, mo- uh, this model when I was running the Bayer Biotech organization. And I'm happy to see now my prior organization, that's uh, more or less all streamlined toward that strategy. And definitely that enable in my uh, at my previous position to drive for a many launch of the molecules, and Ultrabio will apply the similar principle. To I mean, at this point, we do a lot of partnership, and mm-hmm. then later on, we will decide for manufacturing which part we want to own, uh, and then when we will do the outsource. So um, to answer your question, in summary, we own this uh, internal powerhouse in a sense of our discovery still remain in-house. And then we also do the development uh, in U.S. uh, with a lot of focus on attract the talent like we already have from the board to our leadership team. And then um, going forward to commercialization, we'll explore all different kinds of uh, options. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll revisit, uh, perhaps when we get to that point, we'll, we'll revisit this conversation and, sure. and yeah, well, <laughs> That'd hey, be interesting. It, w- it would be very, you know, I'm intrigued by, uh, the factors that go into that decision-making process, because obviously it's not a small investment to, to take things in house. Well, it's not a small investment to outsource for that matter. So, uh, when we get to that point, it'd be an interesting conversation to revisit. Um, What's what's proven? So as you've uh, worked toward clinical, and now you know you're you're firmly in the clinic with your lead candidate. What what's proven the most challenging aspect of of manufacturing for clinical supply, and how have you overcome it? Yeah, and as I say, we uh, need to find the right partner to be equally as uh, agile and nimble as we are. Um, so this actually is uh, definitely is a uh, challenging because um, on one side you want to work with an established organization, but they are much more rigid, right? Because they they have the set system, uh, and I think most of the people in the biologics or the new modality world, knowing uh, working with a CDMO, you need to have the contract set up. I mean, it used to be like 18 months ago, and with the COVID, everybody accelerated a little bit as still as uh, 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. And who can know everything uh, 12 months ahead of time? That's almost uh, impossible. So that is definitely a challenge in working with a well-established one. So we 
took the approach to work with, uh, I guess, a so-called like-minded organization. So in a mm. sense, maybe much more uh, agile and willing to be flexible and maybe not necessarily less established, but willing to have the right mindset. So to select the right partner to have the, like I say, the like it might uh, will be very important for an innovative company like us. And I think so far so good. Um, we have the mixture of both. Uh, yeah. We are working with on one side, one of the CDMO, which is uh, much more uh, established and having certain rigid system. And we try to get certain project with this kind of partner. And then um, also working with the other partner on much more you know, quick turnaround and quicker uh, decision making to uh, move forward. And I'm sure this will be the the across the board. Most of the biotech company are facing this similar challenge. For sure, yeah. Okay, so uh, in the time that we have left, we're we're running short on time here, Doctor Chow. But in the time we have left, I don't I don't want to do a disservice to uh, to to the other candidate in your in your pipeline. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about ABGN two sixty eight, which, <clears throat> excuse me, from what I understand, is sort of a close cousin to ABGN-168H uh, that's targeted at uh, chronic inflammatory indications. Um, so give us a little update on that candidate and where it's headed. Sure. So 268, like you described very well, and it definitely has been shown higher efficacy in the non-human primate model. So that gets us uh, very motivated to develop further. And the difference compared to 168H is uh, it will be developed in a subcutaneous format. That means the patient will have the option to do the self-administration. It's much more convenient. Uh, as you can see, dealing with the immunological or autoimmune disease are already complicated enough to make it a much more convenient for the patient to be able to do self-administration will be a huge benefit. So that is the unique nature of it already, and not to mention is it has a higher efficacy. So we will be looking into like many indications area you already pointed out, maybe mm -hmm. even towards the one like alopecia areata or vitiligo. So those are the, in addition to the IBD uh, disease area we will explore further. Um, so we are all very excited about the 26A is a very unique molecule and demonstrating even more about one, what 16A can do. Very cool. Where, where is that in the uh, sort of in the clinical continuum? Is it preclinical pre or are you at yeah, clinical phase? It's preclinical. So we aim to get the IND file next year. Excellent. Well, I wish you luck on that. I wish you as much luck on that as you're, as you're having with your lead candidate. Um, what, what's the next big step there? What's, what's the next big step for, for you and AltruBio? So uh, other than we mentioned about 16A, we like to make a significant uh, progress in clinical and push 26A into the clinical. Um, mm -hmm. We luckily uh, oversubscribed out of our uh, recent Series A fundraising. So that allowed us to look for additional um, so-called immune checkpoint regulator uh, kind of direction. So we will do that through the business development and licensing to consider additional pipeline. So that will be this three big step. Uh, we like to see the progress. 
Excellent. Clin- clinical progress, regulatory progress, funding progress, expanding pipeline. It's it sounds like everything's uh, everything's on the uh, on the upswing for Altru Bio, and I, I congratulate you uh, on that success. Um, and I thank you for the conversation. I mean, it's been very informative and enjoyable. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Chow. Thank you. So that's Altru Bio President and CEO, Dr. Judy Chow. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva which demonstrates its commitment to new biopharma companies at its Emerging Biotech Accelerator, which you can learn more about at citivalifesciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech. Check that out. Sign up for my newsletter at bioprocessonline.com. Give this podcast five stars if you're enjoying the conversations. And in the meantime, thanks for listening. 